Hello and welcome to season two of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. Interviewing powerful people is easy, but that's not the mouthwash way. Instead, we're exploring the less obvious elements of power this season. What's really driving the world? Who's working behind the scenes to keep the wheels on? Who's messing things up? What's hard and soft power during a pandemic? Who's got power? Who wants it? How do you get it? We're exploring it all. Joining me every episode is a smart cookie of my choosing, and tonight's cookie is none other than HubSpot's Christina Garnett, who runs their community and advocacy programs. Welcome to the show, Christina. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. Thank you for coming on. All right, before I chat more with Christina, let's talk about where we are and how you get involved. Twitter Spaces is still a beta product from Twitter, so let's explore it a bit. On the mobile app, the top bit is called The Nest, where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones you see up there at the moment. Mouthwash uses this to discuss them in a section we call Desert Island Tweets. You click on, um, click through on links, accounts, and that sort of stuff. They're pretty handy and really unique feature to Twitter Spaces. You can see all of your faces and the speakers are at the top. Speakers allow up to, uh, sorry, spaces allow up to 11 speakers at one time, including the host. So you can still have a really good chat with multiple voices, request the mic in any space, but it's not a nightmare cluster of people just, you know, speaking over each other and that sort of thing. Um, Mouthwash is more of a show format. So we actually take questions via the hashtag Mouthwash Show. So if you click the blue link at the top, which says Mouthwash Show in the title, you'll actually go through, it'll create a tweet and just ask your question. And I ask those all the way through the show as well. Uh, saves your fingers a bit of tapping. Twitter's also recently introduced a slew of monetization features, so you know they're serious about spaces. So check them out, whether you work for a brand or not. They're fun spaces you can do with friends or for a more serious topic, uh, like the one we're talking about today. If you look at the bottom right of your phone screens, you'll see some icons, dots, people, heart, etc. The dots are where all of the settings are, so you can turn on captions and other accessibility features there if you need them. Right, let's do that thing again. Time to share out the space, bit of audience participation. Please join me and click on the icon on the right, the staple with the arrow pointing up. Okay, if you click on it and you share, uh, click share via tweet, you'll actually just create a mini tweet of its own and just put live now or whatever you want to put in um, and then just let it out to the world. And the reason for that is, I mentioned it earlier, um, we're actually planting a tree for every live listener that we get um, throughout the season. We did it last season as well. And that's made possible by the very smart people at Ecology. Um, they're all about uh, offsetting your carbon footprint making it super easy so you can find out more about them over at ecology.com e-c-o-l-o-g-i.com whether it's for personal stuff or your business Elliot and the team over there are great partners to work with and I've worked with them with TBD for years can't recommend them enough thanks also to Shell for sponsoring the show Shell's also recently published a target to be a net zero emissions energy business for 2050 or sooner obviously they'll be in step with society find out more about how Shell is powering progress over at shell.com forward slash powering progress Okay, time to use the heart button down the bottom, okay? And you're gonna shower Christina in a disgusting amount of emojis. Choose whichever ones you want, okay? So if you click the heart with a plus and begin showering while I tell you more about her, don't stop until the end. If you're ready, steady, go. Okay, Christina leads HubSpot's community and advocacy program, serving over 114,000 corporate clients. HubSpot is the trusted uh, place to go for people to generate leads, close deals, and create remarkable customer experiences. Bringing in over one billion pounds uh, dollars rather in revenue, HubSpot is a bit is in a big marketplace and an enviable position. Christina navigates the online and offline worlds to develop content and foster connections between existing customers, potential new ones, and the wider world. Previously working for the ICU. And as Senior Insights Insight for Visit, Christina is a regular on the National Speaker Circuit and an award nominee, and regularly contributes to the likes of Social Insider, The Next Web, Adweek, and Meltwater. You could say she's the heart of the internet. Welcome to Mouthwash, Christina. I don't know how to follow up someone saying I'm the heart of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. Well, I, the reason for that is, and we'll go into it in a bit more detail, but I see everything that you do on your feed, and I do recommend that you follow Christina, that Christina G, if you're on Twitter right now, or if you're listening on Spotify, go on to Twitter afterwards. Um, the, the great thing about you is you really do embrace the goodness that's in the internet and people and that sort of stuff. So, Christina, what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? I had a really weird dream, so I was trying to figure out what the dream meant. So that was my first thing this morning. Oh, do you, do you, would you mind me prying into what the dream was? Sure. Um, I had a dream that my husband, my current husband, proposed to me with a pink, a pink diamond ring. 
and it was Marvel themed. And then the next day we went to a Foo Fighters concert and Dave Grohl proposed to me with another pink ring, but it had like a white diamond in the center. And I literally have no idea. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> one, one to research over the weekend, I'm sure. Um, tell me how the last 18 months have been for you. Good and bad. Um, I would say transformative, which I think has been a really good word for other people to use as well. I was in an agency last year that with everything that was happening during the pandemic, I completely burned out, like thoroughly, thoroughly burned out. And when I left, um, I was that person in the agency who was always adding things to the Slack channel saying, here's a blog you should read. Here's a class you should take. Here's a conference you should go to. So I was constantly feeding content to my team, very similar to what I do on Twitter now. And Mm. when I left, that was such a huge void in my heart that I put all of that energy that I was putting towards my agency team. and, And I put that towards Twitter and we've seen where that's gotten me. Um, that's definitely positioned a lot. And I, th- I think a lot of us, and we see this with marketing Twitter and we see this with other parts of the internet. There's just this core need for connection. And when you can't have that, that physical connection to other people and you can't travel and you can't explore the internet becomes your playground for better, or for worse. And you, and you, you have to find no. new opportunities to connect. I, I agree. I definitely, um, really explored the uh, different corners of the internet. Not necessarily, you know, that sounds, you know, when people say the corners of the internet, it's usually a bad thing, isn't it? But actually the fringes of the internet, I think, which is quite sort of interesting. I think people have done virtual tours that they probably never would have mm-hmm. thought about before. They've seen art that they never could have got to, you know, because it was virtually offered and that's the thing. So there's definitely a lot, um, a lot going on. And I think one of the best things is that people have found more tribes than ever mm-hmm. because they've either had the need, like you say, they're burnt out or they're just, you know, they're looking for stimulation in that sort of way. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people really understand how much goes into running a community and that sort of thing. Can you tell us a bit about your job and break it down for us and tell us a bit more about your role? Obviously, it spans online and offline. Absolutely. Right? So my I work within the customer and partner marketing team of HubSpot, and I also work with our networking community team to be able to ensure that basically online and offline, that we're providing a really special experience for our customers, for our fans, for our partners, and for people who've heard of us, but don't necessarily know if we're the right answer for the question that they're asking. So as an advocate, um, my advocacy work, what I wind up doing is I do a lot of social listening. I do an absurd amount of social listening, native and with platforms, to be able to figure out what people are talking about, because it's, it's a huge problem and a huge temptation for marketers to see problems from their perspective. So because I have this problem, other people who are using my tool for marketing must have the same problem. And that's just not necessarily true. So I find that social listening and going to the heart and the tweets and the comments and the videos and really looking at how others are talking about you or talking about their needs, it really reframes what your work is and what you need to be doing. So I look for the haters. I look for the lukewarm people. I look for the people asking for recommendations and I, I pay attention to our fans. Um, so I, I love the word advocate, but I, I call my HubSpot, my, I call my HubSpot advocates hub fans. They're, they're HubSpot fans. And the, the revised title for me is I say I'm a fan of the fans because whenever I'm doing anything, if I'm talking to community moderators, or I'm talking to the network team, or I'm talking to other people on my team, I'm consciously aware of how can I make our fans feel loved, heard, appreciated. I'm that person in the call that's always saying this doesn't feel special enough. And so I, it's not enough to say like, our program's different and we do this. Like I I can't even get to that level because I'm so based on how can I make them feel like we love them back because anytime you have brand ambassadors or just the casual person that loves your product and decided to tweet about it after a call or after a meeting, they're saying, I love you. They may not say that verbatim, but that's what they're saying. They're saying, I love you. And so I really come from a place of if someone's saying they love me and I love them back, I want to make sure that there is no doubt in their mind about my feelings. And so from a brand perspective, it's, it's really kind of turned into a lost art 
of being able to use social in this one-to-one way where you're able to really make them feel like not only did I see you talk about how great we are and how much you love our product, but just wanted to say like that made our day too. We're glad that you're happy. We, we want more than just your money and your, and, and you being a customer. I like that. I, I like that sentiment of like what they are saying to you and that I, I think um, building communities is hard on the best of days. I myself am building one for global tech advocates and it is hard. People are zoomed out, which I think is becoming slammed for just, you know, overworked, you know, the usual. Um, how much harder is it building communities during a pandemic? It's incredibly hard because we saw that, especially, especially last year when everything was in like hyper flux, you would have like four, five, six headline news events that would happen in a day that would normally happen over the span of like six months in a normal year. And so it's not enough to say that your the needs of your customers are changing. The needs of your customers changed sometimes within minutes last year. And you had to know when to, when, to be, when to be quiet, when to speak up, when to be there for them, when to help, how to help. And so brands really had to lean into their purpose last year more than I think they've ever been forced to. Because if when the world is burning, no one wants to see your new ad. And no one cares about the pricing when they can't afford anything. And so... Mm-hmm. I think that I think that brands really needed to lean into what are we really about besides the besides the logo, besides the colors, besides our hashtags, what do we really stand for? And I think that you're seeing that carryover now too, where from before we saw it from a brand perspective, now we're seeing it from an employer perspective because oh. Culture is on a whole different level. And culture has been a buzzword for a really long time. But just as you had like social change receipts last year and this year, now it's employer receipts. How are you like, yes, you can do a webinar on on burnout, but how are you actually treating your employees when you're not trying to advertise something? When you're when you're not trying to push a PR, a PR campaign, how do you really treat your people? And so we're seeing this with the great resignation. We're seeing this, we're seeing a lot of brands who love saying they're empathetic. And then when push comes to shove, you realize they're really not. And so mm. brands, true colors are really showing because it's, it's hard. It's hard. You, you wind up showing your principles in these, when there's this much stress, you have to, you have to figure out what they are. Let's name some names. You mentioned receipts there, and I'm all about receipts. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a couple of people on both sides. Who's gotten it really right during the pandemic and who's gotten it wrong? I think you learn usually more from the people who get it wrong the, versus right sometimes, but I've been proved wrong on that several times. But um, I must admit, I'm, I'm not a massive follower of brands online, but I know some people are. And, you know, like you say, they are people who love you and that sort of thing. But during the pandemic, I saw so many foots in mouths. Yeah. It was it was awful. Yeah. Um, I think Peloton's done a really great job. I think Nike's done a really great job. And it's because they've really drawn a line in the sand and Nike's been doing that for a while they've made it very clear that these are their principles and these are this is where they stand and if they lose half of their audience because someone disagrees with them so be it Peloton Peloton's connection to the gay community is incredibly strong and a lot of their a lot of their um a lot of their instructors are in the are in the LGBTQ community. And so when they do pride campaigns, it doesn't feel like that the look when people talk about like, all right, well, we know we know the day that the logo is going to turn rainbow and we know the lo- the day that the logo is going to change. It's yeah. I saw a lot of pride washing. This yeah, year, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and Peloton does a really great job of that because it is so intrinsically embedded into everything that they do. You know that like pride rides aren't going to disappear from the app as soon as the month's over. You know that they're going to constantly be participating and they're going to be fundraising and they're really going to be there for their for their employees and their community. And just as a whole, anyone even to be there for people who will never own a Peloton, will never give them a dollar just to say, like, we see you is incredibly powerful. And so I think it's 
I think social's great. I think social's awesome. However, a lot of, a lot of the brands that are getting it wrong, it's because they see, they see social as a megaphone and that's not what it should be seen as. It really should be seen as this is how you can, this is how you can get right in front and shake hands with your audience, not yell at them, but like actually shake hands and talk to them back and forth and laugh with them and make jokes and make them feel special or make them feel heard or make them feel like you understand their pain. And I feel like the ones who were doing these like glorified square icons with really small statements on top of it, it feels very much like, all right, we, we did that. We did that checklist. Like that gets that box gets checked off. Here's the thing. Social change isn't a box you check off. It takes years. It's, I mean, think about how long, how long the civil rights move, how long ago the civil rights movement happened. And we are still fighting. There are still people who are killed, who are assaulted um, for no other reason than the color of their skin. It's going to, it takes decades. And so a a social media post can showcase what you want to be seen as, but it doesn't dictate what you will be seen as if you, uh, unless it's coupled with other things. It has to be coupled with, here's the actionable things that we're doing. Here's the steps that we're taking. And it's it's just like with advocacy, I can call you an advocate and I say I can say how great you are, but if I'm not actively making action to take care of you and to make you feel involved and to find opportunities for you to be successful, then you're just an advocate in name only. And I and I don't really care. It all comes down to the actions. I think that's interesting. We had a good example in the UK recently after the football um, with a housing company called um, Savills. And they had an employee who tweeted out something incredibly uh, distasteful, uh, racist. And um, he basically claimed that his account was hacked and that sort of thing. And the Savills response was very, I would say, lukewarm to be to be. Uh, to be fair to them and they could have done lots of different avenues they obviously have a procedure to go through legally so that they don't get sued and that sort of stuff but they haven't exactly jumped on it and sort of fixed it and that sort of thing they've very much gone into hide mode Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes that just shows the sort of brands and the way that they fix things but also when you think about as you mentioned uh, just a second ago the the change that we need to see in the world a lot of it just starts with being transparent like the first thing I did when I went on Savile's um, website is I looked at their board I was like show me the board the people at the top a diverse bunch of young people old people people who have done things outside of housing and that sort of thing and it was literally the whitest board i've ever seen in my life i think every single person on it was white and i said i'm not saying that causes racism or anything like that but there are bigger things in that company that you need to worry about but perhaps you're hiring uh you know people that look and sound like you for and that's not good so it's quite sort of interesting to see it and i think community managers you know go through those sorts of issues all the time fighting up the sort of the ladder as it were to not just get more share of voice and tone of voice but also to get more power how much power do you think community managers um should have or do have at the moment i think they have more than they used to just because community is such a buzzword right now but they still don't have they don't need to have power within the community they need to be empowered though so it's Mm -hmm. which i find is very different where they feel like they have a position where they can they can really kind of be a shepherd um for this flock of people and trying to figure out what do these people need? I don't, it's kind of, it's very much like a parent child relationship. If you, you invite these people into your home, you want to make sure they have everything they need. You want to make it as easy as possible. You know, if it's complicated, they're not going to do what you want them to do, but you also like, you want them to grow you want them to feel empowered. You want them to learn how they can be, have a bigger role in the house. And so I, I find that community managers should be facilitators. They, they know when to be hands-on and they know when to kind of walk away and, and just kind of like observe and see this as an ecosystem. And the thing is, is that it's all intrinsically human. The power that I don't see community managers having that they need is a seat at the table when it comes to these like higher level decisions. And I, I could say the same thing for social media managers is we are expected to do things, but you also want to make sure that you're, 
that you're empowered to, to be a part of what you're going to eventually be doing. And I, I firmly believe in integration where with community and advocacy, you need to have a seat at the table with everybody else because everyone has potential to touch customers. And that's what the community is. It's, it's your customers. It's your potential customers. It's your biggest fans. It's your affiliates, your advocates. It's all of those things in this one central place. And so it bleeds into everything. And so to say, like, here's all these campaigns we're going to do. Oh, 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 we should do something about community. That immediately makes community ad hoc, not not embedded. And that that's a huge red flag just from the very beginning. So I would, if you're going to have a community, it, it really needs to have a seat at the table, not just within marketing, not just within um, a different department or support or things like that. It really needs to be embedded because all of those departments Either it's a direct or an indirect connection to the customers. Either they're building something the customer's going to use or they're talking and helping the customer who's using it, but they're all touching that community. Therefore, they should all be able to understand how can we work with the community team? How can how can they help us? It's very mutually beneficial. It's it's just this big web. Hmm. Let's drill down into that, because obviously you, you mentioned their social media managers. I, I do obviously want to delineate the two and that sort of thing. They aren't the same job. Some some obviously have to do both and that sort of thing. But I hear off time and time again, I've been in that position myself earlier on in my career. You weren't well listened to. You were sort of the person that puts out the tweets. It was like, you know, something was thrown down the ladder and you caught it and you're like, oh, I can do this with it. You know, and that sort of thing. Do you think that um, it's on the community manager or the social or the marketing people to basically say, no, 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 these are the KPIs. And this is how we're measuring it. And this is what success looks like. Is that still not happening in social enough? It's not. It's really not. Um, what, especially as and until we have this, there's no way to say this nicely. A lot of the old guard didn't grow up with digital marketing. So digital KPIs mm. aren't just naturally a part of how they see things. That's why that's a lot of the reason why we have vanity metrics is such an important thing for, for some leaders, because that's the first thing that they see of note. So for someone who yeah. doesn't understand all the different KPIs and metrics that you could potentially come up with from social channels and from community, they usually cling on to the first KPI that, that is shown, which are the vanity metrics. Um, for community, it's usually how many members are in the community. For social, it's how many followers do you have? And anyone worth their salt knows that there are some amazing, thriving, glorious communities that are small. And it works for them that they're small. They don't need to have 100,000 members. They, that would actually hurt them. And then there's others that should be big. Either it's a global initiative or they're, they're connecting all of these things. So it really depends on your why. But until we get more of the, the people who are used to this digital KPI space and like what it actually looks like in the trenches from a digital perspective, it's going to be hard because you have to constantly educate others and to say, no, here's like, yes, I can look at that and I can report on those KPIs for you, but you also need to be looking at these things. Like, yeah. like in community, how many people are passive and lurkers? How many people are engaged? How many people are like conversation starters? How many people are actually inviting others and actively growing these communities? There's, there's so many opportunities to be able to dictate what's working. You can also figure out like which, if we're doing if we're doing things within the community and we're and we're utilizing like a community AMA, are we seeing growth in specific content pillars in a distribution channel versus another? Are there certain events that work better than others? Um, do people prefer video or audio content within a community? What does that look like? Um, how can we? What opportunities make sense for members to drive versus the community managers? Um, it could be something as simple as creating a Spotify playlist for for your community, something where they get to be the driver for something just to kind of test drive it and see how that works. There's just so many opportunities, but it really it really depends on the why. And a lot of the why for for the people who are who are in leadership of the community builders is it's like, oh, well, I want you to give us ROI and I want you to give us growth. And that's not really enough. You need this intrinsic desire to want to connect the people around you, the people who love your product, the people who know you, the people who 
who especially love a product so much that they want to, they want to take a bigger stake. They want, they essentially want like ownership um, in a way that's, that's going to give you the ROI you want. And that's going to give you all the, all the other metrics that you're wanting, but you got to come from this really genuine place of, I want, I want to, I want to have a deeper relationship with my customers. Mm. On that note, obviously, we've got a new world of creators and influencers and that sort of stuff growing up. As a person who sort of sits at the top of communities and advocacy programs and that sort of thing, describe your working relationship with those people. You must come up, you must come across a variety of people, some who are small, some who are big, some who want money, some who want swag. Mm -hmm. What? How do you start to determine what that project or what that program looks like? For yeah. Um, so when I worked at the agency, I did a lot with influencer marketing. So I was looking for people who we had to, we really had to zone in on not only people that were specifically focused on reach and follower count, but people who genuinely made sense for the brand. Um, Cause you could have someone with a million followers, but if, if everyone's just like, wait, you would never use that product or you would never, you would never give money to that brand. Why are you here? It really defeats the purpose. So I think of, from my perspective, I think of influencers as content creators and as champions for people who, especially in the HubSpot's um, capacity, it's like reach is great, but I need you to be knowledgeable. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Let's say that I pick Charlie from TikTok huge, massive, great influencer. She works with Duncan and that makes sense. You can see her drinking Duncan, having her own drink. That that's totally cool. I don't think it would work as well with HubSpot. Like it might make you look us up, but you're not going to think like, yeah, Charlie totally has HubSpot as a CRM and, and that's what she's doing. And that's, and so it really needs to make sense. Like the reach is great. But what if you asked her a question about HubSpot and you're like, cool, cool. I see that you, I see that you use HubSpot. How do you, how do you use smart content? Like that's, I, I doubt that that's going to go over well. So I'm, I'm looking for a mixture of things. I want people who are actively in the HubSpot community. They're talking about us. They can answer questions. And also they're, they're incredibly, like you had mentioned earlier, they're incredibly transparent. When I mention opportunities for our advocates, I'm very clear with them. Like, I'm never going to give you a canned response to say, I'm never going to tell you what to say, because I want you to come from a place of honesty and you know this product and I picked you because I know you know this product. So if I say like, hey, this person is looking for CRM recommendations, I would love it if you gave your feedback. I'm not saying I need you to tell them that HubSpot's amazing and that you should buy it and it's amazing and you should do all the things and da 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 da. I'm going to say, hey, you're one of our biggest fans and I know you know this product. Feel free to share your your opinion on this. And I trust mm. them. I know that they're knowledgeable. That's, that's yeah. Because that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because the job you have to do with HubSpot, where you're selling a product and a service, is very different to, say, uh, Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm trying to sell you an experience mm -hmm. or go and get a cat or a coupon or something like that. How do you manage that expectation? Because your funnel to actually getting people to sign up must be a lot longer than, say, you know, old Coke, where it's just sort of brand recognition and that sort of stuff. When you work with um, the tools and everything that you work with, how do you make sure that you are getting the KPIs that you need to, whether it's engagement or the other one? What are you specifically looking at in order to make that happen? For me personally, it's a mixture of solutions, pain points, and um, emotionality, those emotional triggers. So it's not enough. And our support team is, in my opinion, second to none. It isn't enough for you to try us out. We have multiple, we have multiple tiers. So you can really scale based on your budget, based on your need, um, all of those things. So HubSpot is in a position where we want to grow with you. So not only as you get bigger, you can scale with us, but the whole goal is because you're using us, that facilitates your growth. We're making things easier for you. We're constantly looking for ways to improve. And then that emotional connection is 
we don't want anyone to dislike the product. We don't want anyone to dislike the experience they have with us. So we're constantly, myself included, I'm constantly asking for feedback. I tell my, I tell people in the community and advocates all the time, like, I need you to tell me anything you're feeling good, bad, ugly, because the, the ugly and the bad is how you improve. If you tell me like, Hey, I like this, but just like, I wish it did this. And why doesn't it do this? That's something that I can bring to the right people to make sure that we're thinking about that. We have an entire page called the ideas forum. And all that is literally all that is are our customers wish list of like, Hey, I use this, but I, I, I need you to do this or why can't this happen or things like that. So we're constantly, not only do we know that we're providing the best we can for our customers, but we know that their needs and just life in general, things advance and you need to make changes and you need to constantly be improving. So because we know that we can always be doing better and we actively have our customers be a part of that journey with us, they get that equity. They they get that seat at the table with us. And then it's really cool too, when you see these changes or updates with these specific requests get approved and get made. And these people, the ones who like one or some of the first to recommend it or ask for it, it makes their entire day. Like they, they'll tell people about the update and like, Hey, I asked for this and they heard me and, and how it's going to happen. And it's just, it's a really powerful thing. And it, it lets them essentially be this like ideation piece of the product team, which is really powerful. That, that is bringing people in is always is always the powerful because you then start creating a product specifically for people's needs and that thing. When you started dis, uh, describing that last uh, the the elements that go into your community management, it really did just ping an idea into my head that it actually creating a community is sort of like starting your own business. And when you started mentioning all your elements, it got me thinking of the business model canvas. Um, I've put it up in the nest if people want to click through, but it's very interesting that like some of those. Um, uh, you know, parts could actually be for community managers to use in order to sell back, uh, you know, their value and sort of KPIs as well. I've never actually thought of using that, but that's quite an interesting thought. Any any thoughts yes, on that? Yes, um, I absolutely love the business canvas and the community canvas exists too. And it has that, it has that, it, a breakdown just like that, where you're able Ooh. to, if you, I think it's community-canvas.org. I believe that's it, but it has exactly that where it's broken down into basically how do you build a community? It's, it's, it's how to build instead of a minimum viable product, it's how to build a minimum viable community. And it's built exactly like the community canvas. I would a hundred percent recommend it. Oh, interesting. I'll put that up in the, uh, the nest as well. Um, Onboarding newcomers is often the biggest issue that people sort of say to me around communities and that sort of thing. What's your best advice for companies and organizers to make that as successful as possible? Create. I'm, I'm a massive game theory fan. Like I'm a huge game theory fan. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend multiple people as depending on, depending on your size, but have multiple people essentially beta test the community and go in and you can give them a persona or you can say like, Hey, be yourself. And if you're joining this community, where would you go first? What questions would you have? What are you drawn to? Um, and essentially do these like choose your own adventure maps where you figure out what path people would take and then where they're, where's their friction? Where are their barriers? I find that so many people is so many people have this issue where their whole focus is trying to get people into the community that they don't spend time making sure that it's worthwhile to come back. And so, and so yeah. they get them there, but like, can you imagine, I, I use the party, like a house party a lot as a way to talk about community. So imagine you get invited to a, to a house party, you go in there, you don't know anyone, not a single person. You have never been to this house before. And so you don't know where anything is. There's no one to greet you. So you're like, I have no idea what to do. I brought a bottle of wine. Do I just put it somewhere? Is there like a kitchen? If so, where is that? Where's the bathroom? Like, is everyone in the backyard? Like, you feel very uncomfortable and very unwanted extremely quickly. And so when people come into a community, it's, it's incredibly important to be like, all right, now that you're here, 
A, love that you're here. Welcome. This is great. And then give me options. Like, just like you would at a house party. Be like, hey, thank you yeah. so much for coming. Um, yeah, I see that you brought a bottle of wine. Let me take that for you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, if you want drinks, they're over there. If you want to go to the bathroom, it's the second door on the right. If you want to go out in the back, it's right through. Like, help me. Help me figure out what my next move is. Because I, I did the, I, the first move I understood was get here. Okay, I'm here. If you can't get that first experience right, I'm not going to come back. I'm just not. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone. So um, have people go through there and be like, and then also have that person who's like the devil's advocate, like the person who finds flaws with, like find the meanest person at your office. Like the person who like nothing is good enough. Have them go through the experience and be like, I need you at like your peak hatefulness. Like, tell me what you like. Tell me what you hate. Are you confused? What do you wish you could do? Those people are gems. Those people are gems because they will see things and be like, I never saw it from that perspective. Like, yeah, but I would have hated that. Yeah. They're gems. No, definitely. uh, I've seen a lot of community people at the moment sort of like G-ing people up and just clearly people are either introverted or just not into it. And it just comes across as so tone deaf. It's brilliant. But also that is a great great tip is like get your most hateful person to go through the product. Um, Speaking of products, um, products like Slack, Guild, Tribe, Discourse, Vanilla, Facebook groups, LinkedIn, they've all got something or other to create groups and sort of places to talk and that sort of thing. Um, Some are board-like, some are room-like. how do people know which one's right for their business? They need to know who they want in that community and they need to understand what works for those people. So Slack, Facebook, and LinkedIn tend to be, I mean, although LinkedIn kind of killed their groups, but they Facebook and, and Slack have really great communities and it has absolutely nothing to do with what Facebook or Slack has done. It has to do with the fact that people have already used those products for different things. So it's like, I don't know what's happening, but I've been in this house before. I know how to navigate this place. So that initial barrier that I was talking about is no longer an issue. Um, For example, Circle versus Slack. Circle is very similar to Slack, but it's like Slack on steroids. It has all these other features and you can do like in-conference stuff, which is incredibly great, but also there's people who are going to be off put by that. Like those extra bells and whistles are great for people who want extra bells and whistle, but for people who are like, ah, this is slack, but too much. This is like slack, but too extra for me. Really trying to figure out what works with your, with your customers and your ideal community. And I just, I, I find a problem with people who like your audience is right there and they would love to be asked, especially if you're building it for them. Like if you were, if you were building, if you were having a house built for you, I'm sure you would be involved in the decision-making process, but brands will build a community and never ask the community members their thoughts on anything. So you want them to come into this house, but they had no say. They, they didn't have any feedback in the process at all, but you want them to feel welcome. Yeah. It's, it's really jarring. Or they've built a house and um, they've hung knives on the ceiling. Welcome. It's been in those communities. <laughs> yeah. there's, an, there's an interesting difference around the world. But yeah. Um, let's talk about when it goes wrong before we talk about the future and that sort of thing. I really like the sentiment you mentioned. I can't remember where it was, whether it was on a tweet or in an interview group, but you said, put out the fires, but also water the flowers too. I think that's a really nice sentiment. But should all, all fires be put out online? Can't that often like fan the flames, strikes and effect and that sort of thing? How do you know when a fire is a problem or when a fire is just someone trying to keep themselves warm? Troll detection is incredibly important. What I find is... It, when I find someone that's, that says something incredibly mean online, I will take a couple extra seconds and I will look at their feed to see what other content they're sharing. And the meanest yeah. people I find online, I go on their, I go on their feed and it's just this misery timeline. It's just like, we have the sacred timeline in Loki. These people, it's just misery. They're, ev- they're upset about everything. They're sad about everything. Nothing's good enough. And so that definitely puts the, that puts a frame for me of it's not really an us problem. I'm going to look and see what they're saying, but clearly they just felt like shouting at clouds today. They just wanted to yell at everybody. 
um, it's kind of like the the um, Simpsons, and it's <laughs> the granddad like shaking his hands at the, at the clouds. <laughs> Some people are just like that online, and the best way to like, unless they're saying legitimate things that you know can be fixed or might be an actual issue, I find that people who have real details tend to be genuinely angry. Um, mm. Like, for example, I'm obviously a big Marvel fan, and I had I was talking about like how great the finale was and someone posted Loki sucks underneath it. I'm just like, all right, you said that with your whole chest knowing you're wrong, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there's certain things that like the more detail there is, the more likely there is to be some truth or some, something that you can actually like dive into a little bit. Um, I do think that, I do think that if there's patterns like I am a firm believer in looking for patterns with negativity because if multiple people are saying the exact same thing, there might be, there might be some like nuggets of truth there, especially for products where it's like, Hey, y'all don't do this. Why don't y'all do this? Or this is broken or this isn't working or I need it to do this. And this other company does it. Looking at those kind of negative feedback moments is an opportunity because it gives you the idea of like, all right, well, they're saying this and what they're saying is true. We need to decide now, is this something that we want to fix or add or, or is this something that's literally already in the works, but we haven't launched it yet. Um, So I think, I don't think I agree. You shouldn't, you shouldn't get rid of every fire, but you do need to have some really good detection of Mm -hmm. what is a troll versus someone who is using, using social media because they're angry and they expect results. Very different. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So for the tools, all right, let's talk. Because I remember when I was, when I was, young, <laughs> uh, the sentiment um, tools were all terrible. It was like, we can, we can listen to everything and we'll spit out a word cloud and you'll thank us for it, you know? And I still see those today and people think that they're, you know, gospel and that sort of stuff. But increasingly community moderation has um, got more rigidify and um, specialist and that sort of thing. And I'm seeing a lot of value being added, but I'm also still seeing the same sentiment tools, you know, taking in the same stuff, not having the full Twitter fire hose, for example, but also Facebook's closed down and that's the thing. How good are the tools these days and how on earth do you pick the right one? They're better. Um, they're better. I'm, I'm not a, I, my, okay. The, the place that I, I used to work at visit who I still, I still love that team dearly. Um, but the director of reporting, Adam, I, I can, when I think of word clouds, I think of him because he notoriously hated them. <laughs> Because it would be like, it would be the cornerstone of a report. And he's just like, this gives you no insight. (laughs) This, this looks like insight, but it's not. (laughs) Um, I think sentiment's great in terms of if you're, if you're looking at it from like month to month, I think it's incredibly important. What I actually find more valuable, Talkwalker does this really well, is having like spikes for mentions there was um when i was at the agency there were a few clients that i was working with that had some major announcements during the pandemic some that actually had to be retooled and reworked and rescheduled because of other things happening around the pandemic and i social listened worked with the csm team daily and basically was doing like like hourly temperature checks and sometimes it was we are post we want to post this at 3 p.m tell me if it's okay. And so I'm literally working with the CSM team. I'm doing social listening. I'm looking at like peak reports to figure out. Also figuring out like externally, like what other things that I can't control are also happening around this time that could influence. It's it's Dr. Strange on, on steroids and you're having Mm -hmm. to figure out, all right, all right, safe to go now, but I wouldn't wait much longer. Um, Those kind of things. But yeah, it's better, but I'm I'm also a really big fan of going in natively. There's there's something about actually being in that 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 room essentially where you see things and there's no delay. You're able to immediately see it. I'm I'm always like I love my I love my platforms, but I'm I'm a native person. Like I'm in Reddit every day. I do Reddit natively. Um LinkedIn, I like LinkedIn's API isn't as friendly as it should be. I don't think anyone's going to be shocked by me saying that. Um, (laughs) 
I don't think any API is super friendly. Actually, not really. Just, I think I think Twitter. I think Twitter is the most. Like I think that's another thing too. Is a lot of the tools because of the API differences, you'll feel you'll see like ninety percent of the mentions are from Twitter, and that's because yeah, because they they're the most open. You pay yeah. for it basically if you want the full fire yeah. all of that. Yeah, I mean Facebook, they have no reason to to tell you what a cesspool it is. <laughs> you kind of know, you don't you don't want to probably open the can of worms, but it but it does open up a bigger problem for brands and something that I was certainly recommending to a lot of brands that I worked with when when I was doing the social. I said you're never going to know everything that's being said True. unless you go on and you look for uh-huh. stuff. You know, and when you look for stuff, you'll find weird stuff, and then you'll think that's what everyone's saying, and that's just not the case as well. I remember when we put together a huge pitch for um, the National Lottery about their social listening. And that was all types of people from very, very um, impoverished people all the way through to like rich people and all of that. And everyone in between different stakeholders. And it was a nightmare because the project was just like, you want us to listen to the entire Internet about very specific things. And all of the APIs just don't give us that sort of access. It's like this might not go well, but um, it's sort of interesting. But when we talk about moderation, I also think of like blocking. Do you think the tools that we have at the moment are great, but bots and spams increasingly prevalent? Uh, do you think platforms should be doing more to curb spam and abuse? What should they do? Absolutely. Doing? They definitely need to be doing more from, from a multitude of, for a multitude of reasons. You have on like the lowest level, you have those bots that all have like Matt seven, four, nine, three, two, one, whatever. And they'll all, yeah. they'll all do essentially what was like the Ray-Ban spam from like five or 10 years ago. They'll all do that, but it'll be for like various things. Um, honestly, hashtags are a zoo. It's one of the things that I think has killed Instagram. Um, and what is also heavily problematic for, for Twitter is I'm, I love that you're starting to see on Twitter more about like non hashtag content being trending versus hashtags trending, because you would go in and look at trending hashtags and it would be a lot of bots or a lot of like, or like the K-pop army would basically just like fill your feed with gifts and you would literally never find out why anything was trending. You, like, you cut and you're like, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just incredibly curious and I'll never find out. Um, so that's... What should they be doing, do you think? I don't, I, I don't see the need for hashtags unless there's specific things. Like here where the people are able to ask questions from a hashtag, it's almost like a way to wave a flag. Like that yeah. I like. Um, and I like if you're trying to join a conversation about like Loki, for example, my, my brain is clearly fully on Marvel. Um, but <laughs> other than that, I, I just don't see... Or if you're trying to like be a part of a contest or something, I, and then even then brands get that wrong. Cause their hashtag will be like 30 million characters and there'll be like 10 words in a hashtag. I'm like, you've got to make this easy. Please don't make me yeah. like th- me at my best. Like I, I was an English major and I have typos almost every day on this, on this app. <laughs> if I promise I can write, I promise. It's just my fingers, my fingers don't, my brain is not in my fingers. So that like that millisecond, my fingers are typing too fast. There's going to be extra spaces. There's going to be typos. It's And mm-hmm. imagine if you're trying to get people to do activations because of this like crazy long hashtag, even the best of us are going to get it misspelled. And then you either have to look for those or you ignore those people. And now they get mad because they weren't included. Like it's a whole mess. Um, yeah. Then there's also a lot of pornography, like child pornography on places where bots are doing that because they feel like they're, they're safer. There's misinformation that's also shared through bots. Um, there's not so nearly. Let's talk about that. Yeah for a sec because Facebook came out um, I think it was Facebook this week I can't remember there's always so much news during the week um, but basically said oh no it's TikTok um, they basically said that at, at the point of upload mm-hmm. they were going to start censoring different bits of information so for example YouTube already mm-hmm. do that you can upload a, a copy of The Simpsons it won't even make it to the site because the, the Simpsons have given all the copyrighted material and that sort of comes out. Same with music videos and other things like that. They they basically push you to the official version of it. Twitter doesn't do that. Facebook sort of does that at the moment, but it has to be quite extremist and very much fill their 14 pages of criteria in order for something to be taken down. Do you, how, what, imagine you had a magic wand. How would you fix social media? You have three swishes. 
I would make the terms of service apply to everybody, no matter who you are. That would be one. Two, I would remove bias. TikTok is they they do censor some things, but I've seen I've seen a lot of fat phobic decisions made where a girl who's mm-hmm. a size two can basically do a bikini over like a bikini haul and like almost everything is showing. And then a girl who's like a size 12 does something very similar and it immediately gets taken down. I have a major problem with like why one is good and one is okay. And one is seen as unnecessary or inappropriate. I have, I have a major problem with that. Um, third, I think that if we got rid of all fake accounts, all bots, I think that the, the appeal of vanity metrics would not be as high because you would see mm. what people genuinely have. Um, a lot of influencers, especially on Instagram, a lot of influencers, and I remember it being an, a story a couple years ago where a lot of the influencers now, they have like tons of very real, like six, seven figures worth of followers, but they built that clout off of buying like their first 30,000 followers. Yeah. And so it's like, there's a lot that's legit there, but it's literally built off of lies. And how do you, it just, the, the way that the system is built, it rewards bad behavior. Like I, yeah. I would love for Instagram and that like the swipe up feature on stories to be able to allow that to be available for small businesses and nonprofits. I think it would make an incredible deal. And then people will say, well, they should, they should just work to get 10,000. I was like, do you know how many people got to 10,000 because they paid for it? Yeah. And, and then verification I've decided I'm never going to apply for verification for Twitter because I mean, if they want to give it to me, great, but I'm not applying for it because I've seen so many people like there was, there was a thing that happened this past week where there was like seven accounts that got verified. One had like one follower with like a cat profile because someone had essentially on the inside was corrupt and was like giving all these things. And then all those accounts got suspended because it became, it was a viral thing. If no one had noticed and no one had said anything, they'd still be there. It would, it would still mm. be an active thing. So it's incredibly problematic. It was funny. So I, somebody asked me once when I was on a panel, um, was, again, when I was very young, um, about what my top tip when it comes to social would be. And um, I was very flippant in the answer, but it actually still rings true today with a lot of what we've said this, this uh, today. Um, they said, what would, you, what would you do? And I said two things. And I said, number one, just buy followers because your boss will love you for life, you know, and that sort of thing, because that's all that he cares about. It's having 10,000 followers more than X, Y, and Z. And the other one is um, use a bot system to make your engagement just look astronomical. You never have to, because if they're not checking the registers to making sure that you're making money or actually proving a KPI, then what's the difference? Would you agree with that? Do you think that's crazy advice? I think it's good advice for growth hacking, but it's not, but it's yeah. not good advice for creating an authentic, genuine account and experience. And like, my thing is the, the beautiful thing about social is all the people that I've connected with and all the relationships I've made and a bot can't do that. Definitely. I could, couldn't agree more. Um, what do you think the future of good community management looks like? I, th- I am hopeful that it's, as more people are starting to focus on community, like I said, it's a buzzword. The more community is out there, it's the same way as competition. The more competition there is, the better your product or service has to be. You have to be able to ensure that you are the one that's providing value. Otherwise, there's so many other opportunities for people to go somewhere else. So I, I applaud the competition. I think it's only going to make us get, raise all of our game. Um, but I think... Do you think AI... Sorry, no, sorry. go ahead. Do you think AI is going to um, really impact community management? I, some of the tools that are out there at the moment that can like write blog posts and things like that, there is a hop, skip and a jump to be able to, if you put in a tone of voice and say this word, not this word, never this word, always this word, that, that can run a community management. To your point earlier, it's not going to be perfect, but there are a lot of companies out there that, that could do some good. Or is that a terrible solution? I think it's like with anything, moderation is key. It can't take over all of your processes. Um, I've said in the past, automate where you can, but always be human, always be human where you can. So like, for example, you could automate announcements um, and have like copy AI, write 
announcement copy for like something that you're introducing to the community, but an AI isn't going to be able to run your, your community program where you're having a networking event or you're creating a mentoring circle um, with peers within the community. There's, there's only so much that the AI is going to be able to do. I think it's, it, it needs to be from a place of how can this help facilitate what we're doing instead of replacing that human piece. That that human piece is incredibly important. And when I was hired at HubSpot, um, one of the things I told them is like, I'm all up for automation, love automation. But when it comes to me talking to my advocates, that's going to be me. That's going to be me in DMs, group chats, emails. I mean, I talk to my, I talk to my advocates more in DMs than I do anything else. And that's, that's going to be harder to do with AI. That's a, that's a nice place to lead us into your Desert Island tweet, actually. Um, Christina's Desert Island tweet, the part of mouthwash where guests pick a tweet or two that's changed their mind or way of thinking in some way. Um, please turn your attention to the nest. Um, Christina has picked a tweet from Adam Grant. Um, the tweet says, it's a mistake to pressure everyone to be optimists. The world needs pessimists too. They're the canaries in the coal mine who warn us of danger. They're the... Cassandras who anticipate pandemics and sound the alarm. Optimists may solve problems, but pessimists detect them early. Why did you pick this one? I picked it because I'm like George Carlin says, anytime, if you scratch, if you scratch a cynic, you'll find a disappointed idealist. And I am a walking stereotype of that. I, I see what the world could be, but know full well in my heart, it will never become that. And so I have this like hard, hard coded Eminem shell of, of cynicism and pessimism. And I am constantly looking for worst case scenario. And I joke with my husband because he's an, he's like an eternal optimist. And I say, if I'm, if I'm wrong, something good happened. And if I'm right, I'm prepared. And so I always come from that mindset. And that's why another reason why like get the meanest person you have to like, look up to look at this because they're going to see things that you would just completely gloss over and not consider. And I've been that person where I've been the canary in the coal mine. My husband calls me a canary sometimes because I've seen things. And then like weeks, months, years later, people come up to me and be like, Oh, I wish I'd listened. Like I, I can't make you believe me until you're ready. Um, and Adam Grant, I love his work because he, really zones in on the people who are ostracized or not really seen as um, like successful. We, we have this very weird, we have this very weird fascination with the people who perfectly fit in a box and we can define them and we can describe every facet of them. And then we also have the, this fascination with literally the exact opposite where it's someone who is like, like an Elon Musk, who is like hyper unique. And, and that uniqueness is seen as like this as like the key to success. So it's almost like in order to succeed, you either have to fit in a box and follow the ladder or you need to be hyper unique. And some of the best thinkers I know are neither. They're in that middle space where they're trying to follow the rules, but also follow their, follow their free will and follow their, their creativity. And there's just no love for those people. And so there's a book he wrote called um, Originals that I absolutely love. But Adam, Adam Grant always, always makes me see the world through the perspective of that. There's like an adage, like your weakness. What people usually say is your weakness or how you're different is your superpower. But he actually explains that. Like he gives you mm. like really tactile, concrete examples of how that's true and so you you wind up reading like you'll start reading Adam Grant feeling different and feeling other and then you leave feeling like sorry you don't have my superpower <laughs> I think that's a good sentiment to leave the conversation on leave people wanting more definitely check out um, Adam Grant as well the tweets up there in the nest um can't thank you enough for being part of um, mouthwash Christina any final thoughts uh when it comes for us with regards to the power of community use social for good there's a lot of people who try to use social to, to destroy. Use social to build. Make it be a good thing. Love that. Okay, folks, that was episode 10 of season two. We're halfway. I can't believe it. It's happened so quick. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, let us know how we did. Uh, drop us a tweet with the hashtag mouthwash show, and I promise I will get back to you because I'm a good community manager. Um, I'm thrilled to have an amazing cohort of brains join me for season two. I've curated a bevy of smart folks from Babylon Health to Beauty Sex CEO Sharmadine Reed. Um, up next week is podcasting legend Esprit Devora. 
Big Platform expert Simon Andrews, top business thinker Dory Clark, Be More Pirate author and uncertainty expert Sam Conniff, and we'll close out with Chandler T. Wilson, who is an expert in artificial intelligence, who's ex-Walmart, HSBC, and a tiny organisation called the European Union. The man knows where power is and what's possible with AI, so I wouldn't miss that. But you don't have to miss a minute of anything if you check out mouthwashshow.com for full details, downloadable calendars and links to previous episodes, which are now a sexy new podcast on Spotify, Apple Music and all other quality podcast platforms. Once again, my thanks to the amazing Christina Garrett. Uh, Garnett. Um, follow her on Twitter, that Christina G and on Medium. She writes some very good pieces on there as well. So do check those out. Please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for Christina as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thank you for being part of Mouthwash and joining us. And thanks to the beautiful folks over at Ecology for planting a tree for every listener we get in season two. Please do come back and see us again. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash Fresh Chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter spaces.